newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score. Killers plain and fancy, it's really quite a bore. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. They wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspaper men meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you remember Mrs. Sadie Smuggery. The Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis, sometimes a little humor, sometimes a little bit of <coughs> feigned acrimony. I'm Rex Smith here with Dr. Alan Shartok, Ira Fussfeld, and Barbara Lombardo. We are a panel of veteran journalists and observers of same, here to talk about what's been going on in the media in recent days. There's always a lot. Alan Shartok, I'm going to start off with you first because please, please, Rex. you are the only person in this room with a PhD. Yeah, you uh, frequently mention that. Well, I just want folks to understand qualifications. Here. I'd not heard that before. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Did oh, Rex right. go to Columbia, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> he graduated first in his class. Well, I, oh, had yeah, I wish okay. I had known that all these years. <laughs> We're going to talk about politics here now. So here's the thing. Donald Trump's initial campaign for president was sustained in no small part by the great coverage that he got from a lot of media, most notably News Corp, the properties of Rupert Murdoch. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump announces another run for the presidency, his third Mm -hmm. And the coverage is quite different. The New York Post puts a little line on the bottom of its front page that says official makes Flor announcement. Florida man makes announcement. Florida man yes. makes announcement, which is pretty <laughs> funny. Florida age man 26. Makes that that is a little bit. So what, what is that all about? Well, that's what I'm asking you, Alan. What is that all about? Well, as you know, over the years on this panel, I have said newspapers have favorites. They play favorites. The people who run them have favorites. They have people that they basically love as opposed to hate. And this is what you're seeing right now. Well, it's striking not so much that the News Corp properties, Fox News and the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal are now writing negatively about Trump, but that they were so far to the other side and they've turned on a dime. It's like it was the analogy about you can't change an ocean liner real quickly. You have to ease your way. They didn't ease their way. The Florida Man Makes Announcement, which was on the front page, on page 26 was the story about the announcement, and it was just hilarious. It was it was right out of the onion. Yeah, I mean, I can't do it justice. I'll look it up if you want, but if people haven't seen it, you ought to go check out how they reported the announcement. Well, so what do you make of it, Ira? I make of it that Murdoch and the Murdoch clan have tired of Trump's nonsense, much like most of us did a longer time ago, and they believe that the right horse to back is yeah. not Trump. They haven't specifically gotten on board with the yet, but they're clearly not going to go with Trump anymore. Well, since they said in their front page, in the wood, which is what you call the lead headline of a tabloid, the future, the future right. uh, you think that they're, and I don't think is that they're tired of him, they think he may not be able to deliver for them. That's so. exactly right. I'm just a product of state universities, but 
My uh, <laughs> my thoughts about that is that was the only thing I was going to disagree with you on, Ira, and what you said. It wasn't that they're tired of them. They just want to hitch themselves to the winning horse. They don't have any more soul or integrity than the people who are running that will say whatever it takes to just stay in power. Now, what about Alan's assertion here, oh, a rather boy. broad brush, you know, Barbara? You've been the editor of a couple of newspapers, the Saratogian, the, the, the Troy Record, and Ira's a longtime publisher of the Daily Freeman in Kingston, now retired. So think about this. Alan said, newspapers play their favorites. Uh, do you think that what the New York Post did was typical? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yes, and just watch what That's they're going to That's great, because he was looking for you to put me down. <laughs> they, are going to, they are going to be brown Did you do that at the Saratogian? You did that oh, kind did, of coverage? Did we do that? Yeah, is that typical oh, of Oh, I thought you meant typical of the Post. Oh, well. I'm sorry. Typical of newspapers in general? <laughs> in other words, sort of, the editors yeah. and owners play because, favorites. Because uh, as I was talking with my journalism students, we all have biases, and they're all going to be reflected in what we choose to write about and where we put it in our publications, mm -hmm. the phrasing, the choice of language, the choice of sourcing are all going to take an effect. They're all going wow, to have an impact. But and that's sometimes, just sometimes so I think the media makes the mistake, which I feel strongly a lot of media did in 2016, make the mistake of bending over backwards for the sake of appearing balanced. But there's a difference between truth-telling and blatant prejudice, which I think is what the Post was displaying. I mean, far, far be it for me to defend Donald Trump, but I would say that the way that the Post covered it was irresponsible on the other hand. Well, wouldn't you say that most newspapers, Saratogian, The Record, The Freeman, The Times Union, now and back in the day, you're going to try to report things in what you hope is a balanced manner. The Post has never pretended to report things in a balanced manner, so it's way different. What they are doing is editorializing from day one, and they use their front page and their news stories to do that. And yet, so here to support Alan's cause. I'm just making arguments for you, Alan. Please, Rex, you're the best. Always happy to help here. Here's the Washington Post. Here's the lead of the Washington Post story. Donald Trump, comma, the twice-impeached former president who refused to concede defeat and inspired a failed attempt to overturn the 2020 election, culminating in a deadly attack on the Capitol, officially declared on Tuesday night that he's running to retake the White House in 2024. Now, there's a neutral sentence, isn't it? It's all true. That's right. It's not inaccurate. Yeah. See, I think we've said so many times on this program that the Post is an outlier. You know, you can't judge the industry and the media business just by what the Post does. And the Post would argue, among other now, things— Now, we're talking about the— the New, New York, York Post. Yeah, New York Post. Okay. And the New York Post meets the grand tradition of feisty tabloid, which wears its heart on its sleeve. And again, I'm not trying to defend it, but there is a, there is a place for newspapers or publications like the New York Post. The one area that I think I would disagree with Barbara regarding the motivation for the Post and the other News Corp companies to get on the back of what they perceive will be the winning horse is that they played such a huge role in making Trump a winning horse. Had they decided to stay on board with Trump, could they not have continued to ride down the thoroughbred fairway to use all sorts of mixed metaphors and push Trump along, give him the nudge that he needs? Instead, they've turned their back on him because they think someone else is going to be the winning horse. Um, sure, or because they're just sharks. Good. They're just sharks. Yeah. They can smell the blood. But they were the ones who helped lift Trump. So they're basically saying, even we can't do it anymore. Well, we they don't need to lift Trump. There's no incentive to them to have to lift Trump. Well, what they if Trump wins? They just want to back the and, winner. And they want a part in making the winner, 
And here's just to continue making Alan's case, since he, you know, influences the conversation whether he well, speaks I or not. Well, I have a PhD. I was a full <laughs> professor in two places, none of which you are. <laughs> here's the New York Times lead, similarly, on the day after Donald Trump announced. Donald J. Trump, they always use the middle initial, you know, as opposed to Donald Q. Trump, I suppose. I've always thought J. stood for jerk, but what can I say? <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a reporter who used to work at UPI, and he, every time he would get a story, I'd hear him on the phone... And he'd get the name, and he would always ask for the middle initial. Yeah. It was a wire that's, service. That's because that was our generation. That is, and it was also, the Times also used to put a person's age always yes. in at least the second graph. Anyway, Donald J. Trump, whose historically divisive presidency shook the pillars of the country's democratic institutions, on Tuesday night declared his intention to seek the White House again in 2024, ignoring the appeals of Republicans who warned that his continued influence on the party is largely to blame for its weaker-than-expected showing in the midterm elections. Sorry. Aside from that being too long, <laughs> when you have to take a breath and a glass of water before you can finish a lead, yeah. it's too long. But yeah, they tried to stick everything in there to remind people to in remind case they people. didn't know. It's an interpretive lead is the term that we would use. Tell us about Newsmax. How did they Newsmax. This is great. So Newsmax, which nobody had ever heard of when Donald Trump, well, I don't know if it existed when he first ran. Anyway, former President Donald Trump is chewing establishment calls to hold off and endless Democrat efforts to stop him officially declared his 2024 presidential campaign Tuesday night. There's um, the opposite approach. Yeah, I guess so. The National Review, this is interesting, which is, you know, historically mm -hmm. traditional conservative, sure. William F. Buckley's organization. Is Buckley dead, by the way? Yes. He's dead. <laughs> Yes, still. I had a, a no, editorial. That's a Stengel, isn't he? He's dead at the present time. <laughs> Their editorial had a headline that said, no. There you go. So 721 days before the next election, Donald Trump jumps into the race and journalism is making some calls. Well, one of the things to watch for, no pun intended, is not so much what the New York Post does, because it, for all its appeal or lack thereof, it's a relatively small audience versus the cable audience and how the major cable networks and the broadcast networks covered or did not cover the Trump speech uh, is an indication of where, hopefully, is an indication of where we're going to be going through this campaign. Because we all remember how much free coverage Trump got when they all of the channels would show his campaign speeches wall to wall. And, and now MSNBC, I believe, didn't cover the speech at all. At all although they had commentary on it, and Fox and CNN dropped out after about 20 minutes. Newsmax covered the entire speech. Fox dropped out, but its commentators immediately started lauding Trump and saying, gee, how fabulous he is and what a great candidate and what a great president. So it shows either that there's some independence from Rupert Murdoch or that the message didn't get through to everybody yet. I don't know. Well, my father used to say, since I don't have a Ph.D., I, I may not get this quite <laughs> yeah. right, but that there's, oh, book, about that there's book sense, there's book learning, then book sense, and there's common sense. And I think that some news editors and broadcast editors especially are sometimes lacking in common sense and that we don't learn from our mistakes. So the huge mistake, in, one of the huge mistakes in the 2016 campaign was the free, huge publicity filling the air with Trump stuff maybe not realizing that that was going to backfire so terribly. 
And so do you think that we've learned from our mistakes? There's two years before the election now. What are they going to fill their airwaves? I, I don't know if I'm going to have the See, stomach uh, and the heart to <laughs> listen to the horse racing about who's I, running, I, I who's think not what, running. I think what the opening salvo shows is that they are not going to cover it in any way, shape, or form like they did in the past. So we're not going to be engulfed by it. And yet, here we are on this program talking about Donald Trump. He is just a huge presence. And for all of his competence by, in contrast, Joe Biden, I'm saying, a contrast to Donald Trump, does not fill the airways, fill the room. He doesn't have the presence, and therefore there just isn't as much talk about him, right? I think what still takes my breath away, and it shouldn't because we've all recognized the Trump lying factor even before he was elected, is that he gives these speeches and makes demonstrably factual mistakes on these speeches. There's no question. CNN has a guy named Daniel Dale, whose job is largely just to fact check anybody, but particularly he's made a business out of Trump. And Trump makes a statement and it gets out into the ether that's factually incorrect. And it puts an onus on the, both the print and broadcast press to either not report it or report it and then immediately in the next sentence says except saying in effect, but that's a lie. But people believe what they want to anyway. I just saw a tweet from a guy who said, well, you know, there were 7 million more votes in 2020 than there were voters registered, which is not true. But it's one of those lies that Donald oh, Trump has put out there and people believe it once they hear it true. or once he says something. So you, even the best fact-checking efforts, and note this, Facebook now under its new ownership, Meta, has said that because Donald Trump is now official candidate, they will no longer fact-check his material. Meta hires an independent fact-checking company for its content. And now, since he's a politician, under the way that Meta operates, they no longer feel they have an obligation or responsibility to fact-check anything that is posted. Well, Rex, maybe you could help our audience and me understand what it is that if they did fact-check it and why they're not fact-checking it. Well, that kind of thing, if he makes a statement that is fraudulent, they're going to go ahead and let it fly on their platform. Now, he's contemporaneously, right now, he's banned from Facebook on his own account, but his stuff is carried by others. Well, he said there are any number of examples, but he said, for example, during his speech that the oceans are rising an eighth of an inch and it's going to be a problem in two or three hundred years. Well, first of all, it's rising much faster than that. The danger point is within the foreseeable decades. Again, the point is... It's already happening. It's, it's yeah. already yes, happening. Exactly. And he's saying otherwise in a speech to talk about his reelection. What is the media supposed to do? The media, first of all, needs to be aware enough that he is telling a lie, but you have to report. And yet these vastly powerful platforms, Elon Musk's Twitter and Facebook and so on, really abrogate their responsibility. They claim to be technology companies without the responsibility that every publisher in a small weekly newspaper to a huge news organization like the New York Times, every publisher recognizes his or her responsibility for the content that they publish. These powerful digital platforms say, eh, not my job. Well, for both the digital platforms and the mainstream media, whatever the source might be, I think there's a greater challenge than how to deal with Trump because we already have established that he is a liar, as you like to call him, a lying liar, a liar. <laughs> and that's not even a, an issue. We know not to believe his stuff. But there will be more candidates now who come across as, quote unquote, more competent and more normal and are also going to be speaking untruths, maybe not as crazy, blatant untruths, but they'll be speaking untruths. And how are we supposed to monitor that? 
Facebook, and the normal media. Well, one of the challenges, of course, and this gets us to uh, another topic, actually a couple of related topics. One of the challenges is, of course, the financial peril confronting all news organizations because of the state of the economy and the digital revolution, which has upended the revenue streams for all kinds of media groups. So there are a couple of ways that we've talked about that might be possibly useful for dealing with that. One of those is the growth of nonprofit organizations, which may even work for local news. Here's an example in Cleveland, because the Cleveland Plain Dealer, for many years a fine midsize metropolitan daily newspaper, the Plain Dealer has really been stripped of most of its newsroom. And so now there is $7.5 million in funding from a group of local philanthropies in Cleveland and journalism nonprofits, big and small, that is going to create this new organization that will be Signal Cleveland, a nonprofit newsroom, to fill some of these niches. And I think that is actually a very promising development in communities where, especially under the ownership of Barbara, the company I used to work for, Gannett, has now been stripping newspapers. It's the largest chain in the country, and they've really gutted newsrooms like Poughkeepsie and other fine, once really vigorous newsrooms. These nonprofit alternatives may be an answer, right? Well, we know it works depending on what station you're talking to. It works in the public radio arena. This particular station is extremely successful. I don't know how well it's done elsewhere, but I've long said I'm an old-timer. It's hard for me to get my arms around this kind of strategy working at newspapers, particularly small newspapers, because I don't know if there's enough money in the various communities, and I don't know how it would be set up. So color me skeptical, but unlike what I used to be, I'm willing to listen. Well, something can be nonprofit, but it still has to make money to operate. Right. And that's, sure. um, I don't know if skeptical is my word, but I'm concerned that the concept sounds really good and it depends on philanthropy and it depends on ongoing sources of revenue. I think ultimately it depends on local donations and you still have to make money to support the staff and the cost of the news gathering. So. Yeah, well, is there any evidence that this is actually happening? I know Rex keeps raising it. Yeah, oh well, yeah, yeah, there's uh, yeah, the it's... Institute for Nonprofit News. There are about 40% of nonprofit news organizations are local. That's doubled in the last five years. Well, mm -hmm. I read that same article from Axios that our producer, David Gustina, was kind enough to share. And while they say the local nonprofit newsrooms has more than doubled, I didn't dig deep enough past the story to see does that mean they went from 5 to 10 right. or 50 to 100? It's not in context. Well, LION, which is an acronym that stands for Local Independent Online Newsrooms, that's the national organization of these outfits, and it has grown substantially. There are now local independent online newsrooms all over the country. They're not as voluminous, not as numerous still as local weeklies. But they're getting there, and I think the key thing is to get local donors, local philanthropists to say, yes, news coverage matters, we'll be willing to step in and help in places where there are news deserts. Well, now. how nice to know that in small towns all across the country, there are philanthropists who can underwrite the cost of news gathering. They can, but Hello. do they and will they? I mean, then, yeah, lots of places don't have that kind of... Well, they all, I think every community so. has them, but it's certainly the smaller ones have fewer, and they're already donating many dollars to hospitals and to other local organizations. Is the Cleveland Project digital, or have they scrapped yeah, the print? It's digital. Yeah, oh, it's stop digital. talking so, about print, for God's you, sake. You make, <laughs> Ira, you make a very good point. Would you rather put your money, if you have some money as a philanthropist, into the local hospital where you may have to go and get fixed up at some point, 
or into a newspaper that you've always hated? You want both, ideally, because I want to know what's going on at my local hospital and in my community that I might only find out if I have local news reporting it. Well, and you don't raise that question when you're raising money for WAMC. No, indeed. They're, both, no, I they're all valuable. Because I think everybody understands that WAMC provides so much that they couldn't yeah. possibly even ask that question. Well, here's another alternative then. If you're dubious about not-for-profit, so years ago, when Alan was a young professor, which was, you know... It was a lot of years ago. <laughs> it was in the last century. He created something called the Legislative Gazette. I did. You know, which covers state government news with students, college students. Now, that model has been gaining strength. There was recently, this month, a conference, actually, a national conference, to take that model and say, can that apply in local communities around the country? The Legislative Gazette, how do you deal with the fact that students actually have to pay for that right? But they are getting training, and they're doing news coverage. What do you mean they have to pay? Well, they pay their tuition. Their tuition. They pay tuition oh. to go to school. And once they pay that tuition, and once they're on board, they have credentials that will serve them well in the future. So there are other examples of this at the College of St. Rose when Kalen Brown, who used to be in this program, was the head of the now long gone journalism department at St. Rose. Too bad, right? Sad to say. It's Yeah, it's really too bad that, you know, higher education is similarly in a So that's a shot at St. Rose. Well, it's just the fact of the matter. It's sad uh, that a lot of colleges are going to go out of business in this country. But she created, Kalen Brown, created professor, created this local student-run news organization to cover the Pine Hills neighborhood that the college was located in. And they used timesunion.com as the platform where they would deliver a lot of this. And that's what you work Yes. So that kind of thing, you would question, why can't that be something that is replicated around the country? Why can't we have student journalists, I'm making this up, but why can't SUNY Cobleskill, for example, cover Otsego County? Or what areas are there news deserts? So what's your answer to your own question? I think it should be done. I think I've always thought that journalism education ought to be like medical education. You ought to have residencies, to have hands-on experience. And with good supervision, like you get from senior physicians in a hospital. You don't, lose, you don't lose too many people along the way. <laughs> or the Legislative Gazette. The Legislative Gazette, I would say, is one of your greatest legacies, Alan. And That's uh, now digital only, right? You're not print anymore? Oh, for God's sake, stop oh, no. talking about print. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to confirm that. I mean, even even as good an example as it is, it too has had to drop the historic print edition. That is That's accurate. That's right. Yes. Because right. digital is a much better platform to deliver news. Well, see, Barbara and I were talking about this before we went on the air, and I still read Wait, the New York you Times. I, I read the New York Times in print every day, and it ties up my time because there's so much in it. Now, you could go online in the New York Times, and it's great to see what they're breaking as since the last print edition, but it's so easy to miss stories when you're reading online. The experience, at least for people who grew up in print, is that you can't replicate the print edition digitally. One of my 12 publishers that I had during my career at the Saratogian, I remember when we were switching from an afternoon publication to becoming a morning publication. And she said, when people want their, I guess hamburgers wasn't really the best example. Maybe she could have said eggs. (laughs) You want to be there when the people want what they want to be served and that people want it in the morning. And now, for the last 15 or 20 years, and especially now, people want their news digitally. 
Always. They want it whenever they want it. And, and you can update, you can update and they it. they want it in the morning, right? You can any, anytime. anytime. You Always. want it anytime. You want it whenever it's happening, and you want it to find you. So the difficult thing about the print edition is twofold. First, you can't as easily locate it. If you want to know, gosh, what was it again that uh, the, the New York Times said about Donald Trump when he announced you can quickly find that on your handheld device wherever you are, whenever you want it. And if you were in the print, well, my goodness, we used to have, when, when I was a reporter at Newsday, a big newspaper down on Long Island, we had a dozen librarians, people who whose job it was to sit there and clip the clips and put them into the files. And if you wanted to find something, you had to hope that the librarian that you went to had a good memory so she could say, well, oh, yes, I put that in the file about such and such. I and, totally agree with Ira, though. Though, that reading the newspaper in a print edition is a different experience, that you're exposing yourself to more possible stories than you could do if you're using an online version. Yeah, and you can you have say it. the stories find you, so there's a limit to what you're even looking for and how you're going to search for and stories. And you can have it both ways. I'm just a recent subscriber to the Times Union. The 99 cents offer said, I think even I can handle that. <laughs> but what no, is particularly good about that and other newspapers to which I subscribe is that you can look at the e-edition, which is the replica of the print edition. So I, I'm getting my information digitally. I'm not wasting paper, but but I'm reading the replica edition. Barbara, doesn't, <laughs> Barbara do, apparently does not approve. Because you're reading old news. Well, no, that, yes, but I'm also reading what the fresh news can deliver. But in terms of reading the newspaper so that you see everything. I guess if that, it makes you feel better, that's a good the thing. The product is designed well, I'm, listen, for I'm old, so I'm condescending, Barbara. Yes, I'm 74 years old. I'm, I don't oh, know how I'm going to change. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> The product is designed for older readers, the e-edition. E you know, it's it's that transition product that is meant to look like your newspaper. You can get it on your phone. You can get it on your laptop. And you can find the news in that product where you're used to finding yes. it. What as limited as it. the print edition is, however, because there is more content, better delivered digitally, folks. You know, the pictures move just like they did in the Harry Potter movie. It's amazing. So this is something to uh, consider as you weigh <clears throat> how you wish to consume. But I appreciate the plug for my old employer of the Times Union. The 99, 99 cents for six months. Can't yeah, go well, wrong. I'm thinking the opposite because I've been a subscriber for many, many years and I'm paying a hell of a lot more than well, that. Yeah. Uh, Me too. Mm. Yeah, I'm, that's something that I think all products... But they're worth it. We want to support our local journalism. Support your local journalism. By the way, if you folks have a thought on this, listeners, media at wamc.org is how you reach us. Help media. us. We need thoughts. We do need thoughts. We'd be very grateful for that. I just want to make one more point here before we go, and that is the police in the UK arrested reporters covering a demonstration. Knowing full well these people were journalists, they held the journalists for a few hours. This is actually happening more and more. Cops are taking journalists into custody and then letting them go without charges later while these journalists are doing their jobs. Watch this trend, folks, because this is an effort to stymie news coverage, to keep people from seeing stuff that local officials consider to be embarrassing. And keep an eye on what's going on in Qatar, where the World Cup soccer tournament is going to begin. They've already had an incident where a Danish TV crew was doing a live spot, and the Qatar police or whatever the authorities were put their hands in front of the cameras and tried to thwart them from broadcasting. Mm. And the world is going to cut her this month. Well, better than going to hell, which is where uh, it usually is. Anyway, <laughs> we have run out of time. Thank you, folks, for your commentary. Alan Shartuck, Ira Fussfeld, Barbara Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith. With thanks to our producer, Diego Gustina, and to you folks for joining us this week once again on The Media Project. Interesting people.
Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny, Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now, publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press. 